turn with me over to Philippians chapter 2. Thank you, Robert. Philippians chapter 2. We're going to continue with our Christmas series. And the title of this message is Going to the Next Level. Going to the Next Level. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. Paul is writing. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. And he says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But, verse 7, emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant, and being made in the likeness of men. Verse 8, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Lord, help us as we study. Three things about which I'd like to speak. One, the attitude we need to have, the altitude we need to have, and what it means to be abased. Attitude, altitude, and abasement. Paul is trying to help the church at Philippi understand something about what it means to serve. Now, this is his favorite congregation. There's nobody who has made Paul more happy than the church at Philippi. They gave to him out of their great need. Indeed, they were an impoverished congregation and shamed all the other churches that had resources by their heart, willingness, and experience in giving. This is the only church about which Paul says, you bring me great joy. But yet they didn't understand something about what it meant to serve. And so Paul was trying to help them. Now it didn't mean that they didn't serve. He was trying to give them a greater understanding about what it meant to humble yourself. And to think that when they did serve in a capacity that was maybe unusual, that they hadn't done much yet. And I thank you, all of you, who do something great for God. You help out in children's ministry. You're out there in the parking lot. You serve in the usher's ministry. You help out with our youth in 180. You serve on the team for worship. There are so many, there are hundreds of people to make this hour work and to make all that we do in terms of mission throughout the week work. It's not just Brett. I've got some wonderful folks that God has given me to help establish and, and, and promote our vision and, and, and equip people for the work of service. I couldn't do it on my, on my own. It is amazing. Yet, once we have done what we have done, don't think you've done too much. Paul is trying to say there's an attitude that you need to have that allows you to, to understand perspective, get some more sight Broaden your vision about what Christ did. And when you look at that, begin to, 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 to allow that to inform your own service. That although he existed in the form of God, he had a different attitude. Now most of the time when we talk about attitude that we've got, is bad. We get frustrated with people and we get an attitude. When they disrespect us, we get an attitude. We start wagging our neck. Waving fingers in people's faces. Showing our strength and our power. We have to be corrected on our attitude. But that's not the kind of attitude that Paul was trying to say we need to, to exemplify. He said Jesus had a different mindset. And his mindset was unusual. 
He was God Almighty. Is God Almighty. Always will be God Almighty. It's important that you say all those together whenever you describe him as was. Whenever you put him in the past tense with respect to his godness, you must understand that there was never a time when he was not. He always was. It's hard for our brains theologically, intellectually to wrap, wrap itself around the idea that God just was and he was never created. But he's got to be that way because anything that is created can be uncreated. And God can't be. He can't be destroyed. Nothing can stop his being. He always has been. He always will be. And he is in your now. He is the great I am. And that means I owe any time you want to look at, I am. And anything you need me to be to help advance my cause in the earth on your behalf, I am. That's the that's best way he could describe himself. Moses was trying to say, who will I say sent me? I want to go, I think. I'm really not interested, but you've convinced me now. Who will I say sends me? And he's trying to get some kind of name to attach to God. And the best way God could describe himself was that be. I, I, I just, I'm the only one who is always be. Not just been. Whatever time period you want to want to demarcate, I was there. And when you talk about eternity, eternity is one of those things that, that when you step into it, you step into a wind, not a where. And the wind isn't even defined by a calendar. It just kind of is because eternity has no beginning and end. It, it, it always was and it always will be. That's where God lives. And so the best way he could try to describe himself to Moses is, well, I am. I, I just am. And, and nothing could ever say that with respect to time. Always. Everything always had a, I was and I stopped. Everything always had a beginning and an end. He never has. This is who Christ was. Is. And will be. This is his identity. And being God, he had some privileges. And he, he incorporated an attitude with his privilege that allowed him the privilege of saying, those privileges that I have, I'm not going to hold on to because I've got a purpose. I've got a mission I must fulfill. The distance between where God was, where Jesus was, the son. He was the son before he, be, he was birthed in Mary. When Isaiah says, unto us a son is given, a child is born, that, those aren't just synonymic phrases. It's not a, a parallel that's trying to say the same thing, distinct. Son always was, child was given. Son of God just always was, but he wrapped himself in a little baby body in Mary's womb in order to be what he needed to. The distance between those two is so wide, we cannot even fathom it. It's so great that, that every, the big question in the early church was, how can God become man? That's impossible. It was so wide. 
Man has to do things in order to exist and, and he gets tired and weak and he, gets, he, he lacks provision and, and he's not all powerful. How can God, who is all powerful, become man who is not? They couldn't figure that thing out. It was so wide. And yet Christ didn't, didn't mind spanning that gap. Unthinkable was it for any theologian to think that God could do that. Or would want to. I mean, when you go on vacation, you go to someplace nicer. He went to someplace worse. That treated him worse. Huge sacrifice. And as Paul is trying to, to, to distinguish this, this huge distance that Christ came, That which was omnipotent, all-powerful, became completely weak. Is there anything more vulnerable and needy than a baby? A human baby? It needs to be cared for longer than any other mammalian creature in the earth. Watched over, provided for. He was omniscient, knew everything, yet he gave up all of his understanding to become completely ignorant and now dependent upon his creation to teach him two plus two. He was omnipresent every place at once. And now he, he was wrapped up in an 18-inch, 5-pound baby body. If there was a tendency for claustrophobia, surely he would have had it. <laughs> he gave up all that. Gave it all. And, and Paul's saying, see, see the gap? See how wide it is? Yours isn't that wide. Yours is like this. It's, it's maybe a couple of millimeters. The distance that you have to come, you think it's really big to do something that is going to require that you get your hands dirty, that you serve humanity, that you lower yourself to do what you need to do in order to see the kingdom of God progress. I'm not asking you, though it would be a good ask, to go to Calcutta and minister to the, the lepers there in the, the leper colony. What about just changing a diaper? Over in the children's ministry. How about that? Or doing the thankless task, which I just mentioned before my sermon, of trying to direct people who got their own mind and have about 4,000 pounds worth of power in their grasp to tell them, go right, and they go left. (laughs) In the parking lot. I get word that people get so mad they get up and just move cones and start going the way they want. Yes, yes, yes. Christians coming to church. Christians coming to church. Cutting off folk. Just do that. Lower yourself. But, but, but see... We think the gap is so wide when it's just here. And the reason we think it's so wide is because we have an elevated view of our own humanity. We think we're more than we really are. We think we should be, be regarded as, as different. I have talents. I bring things to the table. I add value to the organization. 
That's beneath me there. I can't do that. To be disrespected by another genuine believer with whom I'm going to worship next to in the congregation as they honk their horn at me and almost run me over. I can't do that. But hear me. The gap is like that. We think we're better than we really are. And the reason we do is because of insecurity on the inside of it. We really, we really realize that, that failure more marks our lives than success. And so we wind up grasping. We do our best to try to find the thing that gives us a sense of significance and rather than praising God for the little bit of stuff that we've been able to do only by his power. We hold on to it with all our might and let it begin to define us. And we pull and we, we, hold, we grasp things. And as a result of that insecurity and fear of not, not, being inse- uh, not being significant, we wind up thinking more of ourselves than we should and we don't come down to where we ought to be. Paul says, have this attitude in yourselves that was also in Christ Jesus. It says, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. When's the last time you emptied yourself? I'm not just talking about a little sacrifice. When's the last time you emptied yourself? You took all of who you are and poured it out for the benefit of something else, somebody else, something bigger than yourself. Jesus emptied himself. Now, he did not empty himself of his godness. You can't do that if you're God because you always are. But he emptied himself of his privilege. All the things I mentioned before, he gave up and more. And what did he give up to get? Being us? I mean, that's not a good trade-off. That's just not a good trade-off. He gave up, but what he got, he appreciated. So he gave up all that in order to become us. Limited, ignorant, weak, get hungry, have needs. He never experienced any of that. And yet he said, in Psalm 40, it's prophesied of him, a body you have prepared for me, oh my God. I come to do your will. And he wanted God's will more than he wanted his own comfort. And so he was willing to empty himself of whatever privilege necessary in order to be what God wanted him to be and to do what God wanted him to do. Have this attitude in yourselves that was also in Christ. Church of Philippi, you need to practice what it means to be empty. Grace Covenant, you need to practice what it means to be empty, especially when you feel full. I mean, what a Sunday, right? What a Sunday. I'm so full. I've had to meter my emotions all week long. We've had miracles happen. God's shown up. It's a miracle that we're meeting here today, not just over the years that I've been pastor, but over the last 72 hours. You have no idea what God has done in the last 72 hours in order to let us meet here. It is stuff you write books about. We'll be able to tell you at some point, but it is, it is nothing less than miraculous. And we've been just praying, God, you are with us. This is amazing. 
And we are full. We are full, not only with the sacrifices that took us to get here by you, but we are full with the presence of God and his affirmation on our church. We are so happy, we don't know what to do. And the danger is this, that when you're full, you forget about the attitude you need to have. That God fills you that you might have something to pour out. That's why he's filling you. It's not to make you happy. It's not just to enjoy the nice chair you're sitting in. Ain't it nice? It's a nice chair. And when you get in it, you get up from it, doesn't even make a sound. Yeah. You know how you do in a movie theater? That doesn't happen here. No, 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 no. See, when you paid for that chair, that's the chair you paid for. God has filled us that we might be poured out. He fills us with the Holy Spirit. Why? So that we can go and minister. That we might be witnesses of who he is in the earth. That we can pour out. Everything about being full is about figuring out the best way to get empty. When you have resources financially and God has blessed you amazingly. amazingly, And you have, you have the ability to get a new house and get a boat and do all that stuff. I'm happy for you. But remember, it's supposed to be stuff now you can empty yourself for his purposes. Because you need to have the right attitude when you're filled. Are you listening to me? When you're full of what God has, has, has begun to, to do through you, which is what's happening here. I mean, God didn't, God didn't put this up by himself. He, he could have. He could do anything. But he chose to use people. He chose to use your sacrifice. And though you sacrifice, hasn't he done more for you than what you gave? I mean, hasn't he done more for you than what you gave? Filled you with testimonies now. Look at what God did. I gave this and all of a sudden I got this. Ministry started coming. Resources started coming. This was amazing. Boy, and you are happier than when you, than, than when you began to sacrifice. This is our God. He is amazing at what he does for us and what he does through us. And so we have this moment where he has worked through us marvelously. But, but the filling of moments through which he works through us need to be put in the right perspective. The disciples just came back from a short-term missions trip. And they had they'd gone out in Luke chapter 10 and they'd seen miracles. But... But the greatest of which, at least they testified, were, were that the demons were subject to, to them in Christ's name. That was the greatest miracle. And they were amazed that the authority that Christ had had now been delegated to them as ambassadors. And so whatever they said on, on behalf of him, the demons recognized that authority. They were blown away. The demons were subject to us and Jesus got happy. He said, yeah, I know. I saw Satan falling from heaven like lightning. I saw it in the spirit. It was amazing. But, 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 let, but, but let me tell you something. It's more important, though that's good. It's more important to make sure that you recognize what God does for you rather than what he does through you. Therefore, rejoice more that your names are written in heaven than the demons are subject to you in my name. This is amazing what God has done through us. It is amazing. No debt, amazing.
amazing. I don't know that I would have chosen this way, but I'm glad the Lord inspired me to go this way. It took us seven years to get here. And, and you were inspired to do the unusual. That's how we got here. Thank you. And now we've got a testimony. We've got something we can share and something upon which we can build to help do more things for them. Not just put up a facility, but help win the city. All oh, this is important. But as great as it is, and I never want to minimize what God does through us, always glorify Him for it. It's more important for us to rejoice about what He has done for us. Because we couldn't do some stuff even if we tried. We couldn't save ourselves, we couldn't change our own hearts. The only way we could get right is if God did it all by himself. And we never need to put those two things in parallel. They need to be in right perspective. What you did for me is more important than what you did through me. And if we have that, then we will never have a tendency to, to have the wrong attitude. Because many Christians got the wrong attitude. When God does something for them, I am the man of God. <laughs> He has moved through my life. He has prophesied. He has done miracles. He has built buildings. He has saved thousands. This is what God does through me. And they get all religious about it. This is what God does through me. And if, 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 it's, if you read it in print, it sounds real pretty. If you hear it out of their mouth, you go, uh-oh. Uh-oh. Somebody is touching some stuff they ought not touch. Somebody has begun to dabble in some areas of glory that they need to be reflecting and not holding on to. When Jesus had an opportunity to hold on to stuff with which identified him as being really special, he let it go. He let it go. Whenever we have the opportunity to hold on to something that he does through us, it's important that we do that. Not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. He elevates us a little bit. See, the glory of God is a thing that's, that's it needs to be navigated. It's so powerful that Moses was on a roll. He was on a roll in the Old Testament. And he had just seen God do something through his intercession by saving the people. God said, I'm going to kill them all. I know I brought them out of Egypt, but I'm going to kill them all. Primarily because, you know, they just won't obey me. And, and, and they saw 10 miracles in Egypt. And they saw the Red Sea. And now 30... You've been up here a month and 10 days. And they have already built a new God. It's, it's been 40 days. And they have built a new God. After all they've seen. After all they've seen in a month. They are worshiping somebody else. He said, I'm going to kill them. I'm going to kill them. And I'm going to start over with you. Now, that's a heady idea, isn't it? I mean, for Moses, the Mosites. And they, they, they never sang happy birthday to Moses. No, 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 no. There was no honor for Moses ever. All they did was complain. They were mad when he came to Egypt and mad when they got to the Red Sea. Are you kidding me? They were mad at him. You brought it worse on us. Now we have to make bricks without straw. If you call this help, go home. <laughs> We don't want you no more. We don't want you no more. Moses, why are you lead us to the Red Sea? That's bad leadership. We backed up here. We got mountains on this side, mountains on that side. Let it go back to Egypt. You a 
she opens up. Oh, you real good. You real good. You got some stuff you can do. We can't do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you, you good. That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a good save, Moses. That's a good save right there. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, he got it going on. He got it going on. I know what I said, but he got it going on. He got it going on. <laughs> a month later. Right. We need a new God. <sighs> Moses told God, don't kill him. Please, don't kill him. And God listened to Moses. And then Moses was on this roll. And he said, I got God to change his mind. Yeah. Okay, now, Lord, show me your glory. I need you, and like if I show it to you, you got to die. You can't stand it. It's, it's too much for any human being to, to pull in. It'll kill you. But I'll show you a little bit of something. So stand in the cleft here between these two rocks and I will let my backside pass before you. But I can't, I can't let you see my face because you'll die. And we think the backside was where Moses got all the information about how God did creation. Meaning history, backside. How, Moses wrote Genesis. Where did he get it from? He didn't live there. That's where he got it. That's where he got it. He got history, the backside. But we don't get all the future. We don't get the face. That's in bits and pieces. And my point is this. We, don't, we never get all of his glory. We get bits and pieces. We get bits and pieces. Bits and pieces. Glory is dangerous. But those bits and pieces make us feel so something. They give us a sense of, ooh, ooh. Yeah, I can stand up right now. We got to be careful. Careful. Now, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 42, verse 8, it says, I am God. That is my name, and I will share my glory with no one. Now, the context is he's not going to share it with an idol. But God has always wanted to give a dab to his people, a pinch to his people, just a little sprinkling to his people. Why? Because his people can reflect who he is to the rest of humanity. And the thing that allows him to be seen best as being other is his glory. And so every once in a while, the prayer that Jesus prays comes to pass. John 17, Lord, I have given them of of your glory as you and I are one. And the glory that you've revealed to me, I now give to them that they might be one. And so there is a sharing of this glory. Now you have to be very careful when you get it. Because when God seems to give you credit for what you've done, when he seems to to allow you the privilege of standing upright more than you ever have before because he did something really special through you, and you know that, that you had to comply and participate, you better be careful because the entire moment is supposed to be that which allows you the privilege of also having the character that says, it's you. It's not me. I know you did it through me, but it's you. Though Jesus had the privilege of holding on to the stuff which amplified who he was to everybody. There was one time when he let the veil be pierced. One. On the mountain of transfiguration, he took Peter, James, and John up there. And it was supposed to be a prayer meeting, but they went to sleep again. That's what they do. Supposed to be a prayer meeting. And all of a sudden, you know when somebody turns the light on while you're sleeping? You just... 
what's going on? Light like they'd never seen before came. And they were... Oh! Oh, it says that Jesus, his garments began to shine like the sun. And just... Just a little bit they got to see. So, so powerful was it an impact. And Peter said, oh, we got to build a building project now. We got to start a construction. We're going to build a temple for Jesus. Because Moses, Moses and Elijah were with him on the mountain. I don't even know how Peter and James and John recognized. They didn't know them. Except Jesus told them, that, that's Moses, that's Elijah. Well, what'd they do? I thought they were dead. What'd they do? Who are you again? Oh, Thank you, just a little bit. When God shares just a little, all of a sudden we start to feel like we're special. And that's a moment for us to say, I let go. I'm not going to regard the power and the glory as something I can hold on to just to make me feel more significant. I let go. And, and it, church, we're going to the next level as a result of this, this building. We are. God's going to do some amazing things. But the next level is down, not up. When we think about what God's done here, only you, we humble ourselves under your mighty hand. We get as low as we possibly can because only God could have done this. Yes, he used us, but we are to be deflectors of his glory. We are to be those that give it back to him. Lord, you are amazing because we don't want to hold on to it to make us feel more special. He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself, emptied himself, became a man, a human being. The gap was huge. Ours is really small. We need to have his attitude because his was great. Ours is small. He became a man. And though he gave up so much to get something in return that was smaller, even God then said, not enough giving yet. Now wait a minute, Lord. I have served faithfully. I have, I have, I have been in children's ministry for seven years. I have cleaned more diapers than any one person should ever have to in their entire life. I've had more people in the parking lot threaten to run me over. Lord, I'm telling you. I, I, am, I, I have served, I have served and served and served and served. It's about time for me now to get something for me. It's bread time. He took his body and he said, even the stuff I got, I'm going to give up. Even the benefit that I receive from giving... Everything that was important to my identity in terms of how I was presented, I choose now to give up. And though he had, he had obtained the gift of being man, he now gave that up for our benefit. How low can you go? How low have you gone? The next level is down. And everything about God says, if you humble yourself under my mighty hand, I'll exalt you in due time. So 1 Peter 5, humble yourself under God's mighty hand, and he will exalt you in due time. And then what do you do when you get exalted? Find the floor again. 
Find the floor again. Duck. Just make your regular knee-jerk posture when God does something great. Duck. Get down. And what does he do? He said, come on up here. You're amazing. You're amazing. No, 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 Lord. You are amazing. When you have that kind of attitude, God continues to move in miraculous ways in your life because he can now entrust you with more power because you will never bring it to yourself. You'll never use it for your own purposes. You won't take the glory to yourself, nor will you receive the credit to yourself. It will always be him. And you will, you will have the perspective that we all need to have when God does stuff for us. Does stuff through us. You will have the perspective that says I'm more happy about what God does for me than what he does through me. That will keep you in check regularly. And it will make your, your Christmases very merry. Let's pray.